Hello. Hey, what's up, Ardos? How's it going? Hey, I'm good. Just check my mic. Okay, no worries. I'm here, but I'll be right back. What's up, Saigon? What's going on? Test one, two. Can you hear me? Yep. I yep. got you. Well, we'll always All right, let me see. My headphones aren't working, so give me a hot sec. <clears throat> Test one, two, bro. How are we doing? Perfect. Nice. How's your day going, Cal? Great, man. There's a lot of, I feel like there's a lot of news to talk about this week. There is. There's a a lot of stuff coming up recently. There's a lot going on out there. And it's all all exciting. I mean, in Thorchain and crypto and everything, yeah. Yeah. Kraken listing today, uh, just out of nowhere. And then also uh, the one, the Akash founder saying that the uh, Thornodes will be running on Akash soon. That's going to be great. Nice. Yeah, we have a whole list here. Um, Thor names, text aggregation. I'm back, Mr. Chad. Hey, Chad. It's uh, Saigon. Do you want to start talking about the uh, about the, the conference? Uh, yeah, yeah, happy to. I mean, we can uh, give people a few more minutes to, to trickle in. I think it's it's pretty uh pretty early right now. Shoot the shit for a little bit. Um, is is Chad in here? Hey, Ch- I think Chad Chad Thoreau can't make it this day. I think he's got some some travel plans, or whatever. But uh, just gonna be me and uh, you and and familiar uh, Trace Amigos. Let's do it. Now Erdogan is up here too. I asked him to uh, come back me up here. Oh yeah, and Erdogan too. There you go. Howdy, Erdogan. So goes or amigos. I love it. Um, Quattros. <laughs> there we go. Um, awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah. Happy to happy to intro um, the expo. It, it's something um, we're we're excited about. We've been working on. So you know, we love we love conferences. I uh, I actually connected with um, like members from the original Thorchain team at a conference in 2018. That's how I got looped into the ecosystem in the first place, um, and it you know changed the trajectory of my life. So you know, I have a soft spot in my heart for for. Um, for conferences, they're, they're fun, a great way to connect with the community in real life, you know, community that exists online so much. And so it can make relationships and connections and uh, concepts uh, all the more real. And um, I live in Austin, Texas. And this year, one of the one of the larger crypto conferences in the US every year is, is Consensus. It's hosted by Coindesk. It's normally hosted in New York City every year. But uh, this year, for the first time, they moved it to Austin, Texas. So um so you know that was that was a big announcement when they dropped that a, a couple months ago. Um, it's it's next month in June, um, almost exactly a month from now, June eighth through twelfth is the consensus conference. Um, and you know with that coming to our backyard, you know we thought we we got to do something, uh, got to show up, come correct, and, and help uh, help turn Austin on uh, Thorpill Thorpill Austin and and the greater kind of consensus community. So um, together with some of. Uh, some of our ecosystem partners, including you guys here on stage, we've been conspiring and are, and are happy to kind of finally share with the community here that we're going to do the first um, cross-chain expo. And so this is going to be a mini conference dedicated towards like all the tools, protocols, applications that are building towards the multi-chain future. Um, it's going to be a one-day, one-day kind of mini conference experience uh, in downtown Austin, just a few blocks from the convention center. It's going to be Wednesday, June 8th. And it's going to feature. Uh, we're going to have lunch from like twelve to one, and then we'll have um, some programming talks uh, and panels from 
um, a bunch of multi-chain uh, like developers and, and leaders of, of multi-chain projects, including ThorChain, um, Broker, Thor Wallet, um, ThorStarter, Maya Protocol, uh, and a handful of others that we're in conversation with right now. Uh, oh, Nine Realms as well. And um, and yeah, we'll have program from one to five thirty, and then we'll have a half hour from five thirty to eight o'clock and connect with each other. Um, and uh, and yeah, just um, really do our part to kind of create the first uh, in-person experience for, for the ThorChain community and the broader like multi-chain cross-chain uh, community. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Like there's um, we just went live with the website and the socials. If you go to cross-chain, uh, the website's crosschain.so, S-O. And the socials like Twitter, it's crosschain expo. Um, thank you for, yeah, for pinning that tweet there, uh, Cal. So it's um, yeah, at crosschain expo on Twitter. Um, it's going to be a free event. Um, and at, it'll be at Native Hostel in downtown Austin, Wednesday, June 8th. Um, yeah. The venue is super cool. It's all the pictures of it. it that's going to be a great venue for this place. Can't wait to, uh, uh, you know, throw some uh, panels and stuff here. We can get uh, chat up on stage. We can get some, you know, we, we can room fill some people who probably maybe never even heard of it before. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the venue, we were, we were uh, really surprised that this venue was available. It was like the first place that we thought of in Austin. It's the most obvious place. It's like this really cool kind of exposed brick, um, kind of rustic venue space. It actually has, it's like, um, uh, it has, it has a few different rooms and what we're actually doing is like Wednesday is going to be, you know, the, the day of programming in the biggest kind of event space called the ballroom. Um, that's where this mini conference is going to be held. Um, but then for the rest of the week, like the rest of the day on Wednesday and then all day, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, um, we're turning the, uh, what they call the parlor room and the bar room into just like Thorchain branded, Thorchain themed, um, a Thorchain themed lounge. Um, and so we go, go there, get refreshments, uh, you know, you know Wi-Fi, comfortable couches, sofas, um, tables. So you can, you can just, you know, if you're at the conference and you want to get out, uh, take a load off, connect with other people. Um, we'll have this like kind of like for the rest of the week, this, this space where people can come take a load off. We have like a upstairs private VIP area for all of our sponsors and, and ecosystem partners. Um, so that'll be a little like intimate and like a little VIP section. Um, but really it's just, it's going to be our little corner of Austin, um, for the week of consensus. Um, and, uh, and that'll be great. Cause we know of at least, I, I mean, it looks like it's going to be somewhere in the nature of like eight, somewhere like, like eight to maybe even up to 10 of the ecosystem projects that we're talking to that are all going to be in town. It'll be the first time a lot of us are meeting in person, which is super cool. Um, and then connect with the community members. So anybody that's listening is more than welcome to obviously come join us. It's free again. Um, crosschain.so the lounge is crosschain.so slash lounge. You can check it out there. Um, and conspiring with the uh, folks up here on stage, including Cal. Cal's gonna. Cal, you want you want to be the MC or or, uh, or moderate some panels? I think we we talked about it. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely down for that. That'll be a good time. Awesome. Oh, we thought about the idea of doing like a um, like a, a Thorchain weekly live live. Um, that'd be fun. I I, I want to have a Gavin and Chad panel. I I, I think that's going to be the best panel that we could put together. Yeah, I love that idea. Also, like the idea of like an investor panel, getting some of the funds um, and uh, like uh, some of the funds or investors that have invested in Thorchain to give their kind of perspective on it, which would be cool too. Um, Chad, what are you what are you excited about? What do you, what do you have in mind? Uh, I mean, I'm excited about this thing just in general, just because I I wasn't sure I'd ever see the day where you have actually like a Thorchain like a Thorchain conference like that. Just to me, it's just uh, crazy talk, like, like, oh, it's amazing. I just never thought I'd see it, you know, and then all of a sudden it's happening. I'm just like, wow, oh my gosh, this is, this is, this is a real deal. Um, I'm excited just to go to the conference and, and uh, meet more people in the community and, and answer more questions and, and just try to foster the uh, community as a whole and get people more 
room tool as you as you, uh, as you put it earlier. Absolutely. Um, by the way, uh, on the topic of room filling, I actually met with um, the CMO of uh, Radix, um, Radix DLT, I think the official name is. And I was just talking to their CMO, like, he happened to be in New York City. And he's like, hey, I'm out in New York. I met him at a preview. He's like, I'm out in New York City. Like, let's just grab some coffee. And we went out. And he's like, so tell me more about this whole, like, you know, Thorify stuff and Thorchain, blah, blah, blah. I talked to him for about an hour and just, like, just dropped massive alphas on his head. And he just became so over the moon about it. It was just insane. Like, he, <laughs> he was just crazy about it. And so he just starts, like, calling the CEO, Radix, and, like, we got to get integrated now today. Like, let's put, let's put an engineer on it today. <laughs> like, he, was just, he got, like, super bullish on it, like, in a very short period of time, just by describing what it is and what this chain does and how to accomplish the task and all that kind of stuff. So that, that guy was room-filled to the max there. <laughs> okay. What is Radix? So Radix is, like, kind of like an Ethereum competitor, it's um, it's like a more scalable smart contracting like chain where they have like they're doing basically sharding, which is something similar to what Ethereum is doing. But the difference is that, that their shards can like communicate. Uh, so like can run things in multiple shards and things can, can, can communicate with each other, and uh, it becomes quite useful. So they're trying to be like a like a one stop shop, and it's been like it's been years in development, like five or six years it's been being worked on, and they're just. Uh, recently launched their first version called Olympia, and then next year they're going to launch what they call Babylon. But it's an interesting project for sure. It's, very, it's got a very low market cap. Uh, not a lot of people know about at this point in time, but I think in the future it could change quite significantly. They have the same problem as a lot of layer ones, where like it's hard to get listed uh, on exchanges because for a centralized exchange to list a, a layer one, it's like it's, this requires a lot more infrastructure, a lot more uh, security audits, and like understanding the, all the different like. Uh, um, dependencies of that particular chain, all the code paths that exist, all the code paths of the code paths, what's in the dependencies of those code. It's very expensive. And so it's hard to get liquidity. It's hard to get listed. And so he got very excited about us because, you know, we don't really require it in the same sense that centralized exchange does. Um, and so it's a lot easier to get a lot of liquidity into your network with uh, relatively a lot, a lot less money and a lot less time. Looks like from their Twitter page, their, their first post is, does the future of DeFi still belong to Ethereum, the Radix blog? So it sounds like they're, uh, you know, similarly oriented where it's, you know, uh, chain agnostic to, you know, where, where DeFi can be. I mean, all of us know that DeFi lives everywhere and lives cross-chain now. But, uh, you know, it's interesting to see these guys are aligned. I guess maybe because they're an Ethereum competitor. So uh, obviously the future of DeFi does not belong on Ethereum if you're an Ethereum competitor. All right, let's get into uh, some of the stuff for this week. Um, so first off, uh, that Kraken announcement from yesterday. Um, so if you guys haven't seen that, uh, Kraken Exchange just announced that they would be supporting native Rune deposits starting yesterday, and I believe trading starts today. So that's the first major centralized exchange that supports native Rune deposits withdrawals trading. And that's that might mark the end of the, uh, the arbitrage gap between... Uh, you know, between the centralized exchanges and uh, and you know this native native rune as it is, because normally there's a, a small price discrepancy where uh, you know the US sorry F two rune is quite a bit higher than native rune. So maybe we'll see some some changes there. But this is the first uh, native listing of rune and with a major exchange. So that, that's just absolutely incredible. Yeah, I always suspected that whenever we launched like a full ma- like a major exchange listed native rune that. That the um, <clears throat> trade volume on the network would probably like naturally increase. Uh, I was I, I assumed significantly just because of the arbitrage opportunities has just been opened up because of the, a, a way to get 
to Bitcoin to room outside of the network. And so that just kind of closes some opportunities for, for, to, to be, uh, you know, in the world in a sense. We'll see if that actually is true. That is an assumption I can then kind of made, but I could be incorrect with that assumption. Who knows? But that's the thing, like that whole cracking thing, like we as a, as a core team, we reached out to them about a year ago, right? Right when we basically right around the time we launched blockchain to begin with. And we just basically like fill out a form saying, Hey, like a request for, to be listed. And we heard, didn't hear anything back in from them at all for over a year. And so this thing just like, you know, dropped out of nowhere from my perspective, which is great. That just means to me, that's just like, it's a signal that, that, uh, that growth can happen outside of the core team and nine realms, like trying to handhold everything. Right to get it moving. I like at some point, like integrations, you know, listings, all that kind of stuff, it's just going to happen without you know, our knowledge and, and our, our involvement, which is a really good thing. It just allows the the, the, the fortune community to grow, you know, disconnected from any kind of uh, core team of any kind, which is really positive for the network for sure. Yeah. So hopefully, the first of many centralized exchange listings. But this is a huge one, and uh, it, it, finally, an easy way as an American to to buy Rune without actually having to know what you're doing. <laughs> You know, uh, pre- previously, uh, it's much more, much more difficult to uh, acquire Rune. Just, just you know, the, the technical knowledge required to, uh, you know, to buy and trade Rune. Uh, you know, that, that leaves a lot of people stuck buying, you know, BEP2 Rune on Binance and having no idea what to, what to do with it. Uh, and now it's going to be, it's going to be great that it can just move right from, right from Kraken, right to the liquidity pools and arbitrage. Right. It's going to be great. Right. Yeah, it's it's great that it's open for Americans. This is the first time Rune was available to Americans directly, with the exception of Kraken doesn't support um, New York State or Washington State. So if you happen to live in one of those two states, you're kind of shit out of luck for now, at least. As um, do, do we know if as Kraken and other exchanges um, list native Rune, are they going to deprecate like the uh, the other uh, alternative Rune assets that they were listing? Uh, that's that's been our position. Like when we have conversations um, with various like central exchanges, etc. Uh, when we've had many people, many exchanges come to us, like, "Hey, we're we're gonna let us room." We're like, "Great!" And they're like, "We're like, you know, which one is it?" And they're like, "ERC twenty." We're like, "No, don't do that. Like, just you know, just don't touch it. Just let, leave it alone. Don't do that." And that like, we specifically designed ERC twenty room to not be listed for by exchanges by design. So. Um, so we're trying to push. They all go for the ERC twenty quickly because it's such a low hanging fruit for them. Like it's very easy for them to have no ERC twenty. But we're trying to push them off of that and then get towards the native stuff, which I think we've been we've been talking with quite a few lately, and I think we're going to see some more listings happening in the very near future. So stay tuned. Stay, uh, stay tuned over the next couple of weeks because I think you know you might see one or two or three possibly maybe um, be listed. So we have more stuff coming downstream, which is just more you know obviously super bullish for the for the network. Yeah, I don't think that Kraken had uh, Rune listed at all before. I don't think you could even buy a, a wrapped version, you know, the ERC twenty or the BEP two version. I, I think it was just you know, kind of off limits because uh, I've definitely looked. To buy, to buy as an American, just looking to uh, you know to buy Rune easily, and uh, there's no such options until uh, until today, I guess. Now is the first day that you could uh, buy native Rune on Kraken. So, and by the way, like listings just like the first step, right? Like these these exchanges can hook into LP, and once like Thorfi comes out, they can hook into like lending, they can hook into uh, a single asset exposure, like savings interest or interest accounts. Uh, all sorts of opportunities exist for these like central exchanges to, to give them give their user base more power, flexibility, and more options without actually needing to build anything themselves or take on any additional risk themselves. 
right? From, you know, spending months building, engineering, hiring people, maintaining blah, blah, blah. They can just like hook into us as a, as a, as a project and offer that to their user base to give their user base, you know, more advantage. And so that, I think that's naturally going to happen in the future. I think listing is just going to be kind of the first and obvious step. But as we kind of progress they're throwing it down to like the Thorify road and, and kind of show its value and, and how how useful it is and how people you know demand it um i think that will change we'll, we'll see some more syntax changes like dipping into the, the thor chain pool and, in a much more significant way than they are now do you know what there was even a uh oh yeah so there, there was even like a an early coinbase employee who uh who had a tweet thread um i don't know a year ago maybe and it was like coinbase in in five years or centralized exchanges in five years they're not even going to have like their own centralized proprietary order books like they'll they'll like just be front ends to a global liquidity pool. Um, and so if you zoom out like far enough, it's, it's uh, you know, there's, there's a future in which you know, not only are they of course listing uh, rune, but even they're, um, you know, the, uh, they themselves are backing up to Thorchain, Thorchain's like liquidity pools. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a, like the deeper the liquidity pools get on our, on our network here, the more natural trade volume we'll have because the fees will become cheaper and cheaper. The liquidity will be higher and higher. And, you know, in five years, like Fortune could be the place where people do, you know, the vast majority of their trading, whether they're aware they're using Fortune or not. It could be just something that just, oh, I'm using this other thing that's actually being powered by Fortune. And it, there's this like, kind of interesting possibility, you know, a few years down the road of like, uh, with a sufficient enough uh, liquidity in the pools that Fortune can become like the number one place where people buy and trade Bitcoin or buy and trade Ethereum or buy and trade. For assets in the in the in the entire ecosystem, that's that sounds crazy, and it sounds like I'm kind of spouting some bullshit here. But uh, logically speaking, mathematically speaking, it makes complete sense as long as Thorchain's pools can get uh, deep enough to, to, to kind of foster such a thing. But if they become sufficiently deep, then that is the that is the inevitable result of that. So to, on time. to go off what you were saying earlier, uh, do you know any other DeFi products that are offered by the centralized exchanges? What, what other um, services are, are tapped into. I'm kind of curious about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been talking a little bit with um, Celsius, for example, and they have this new thing they're working on called Celsius X, which is basically Celsius like taking capital from various people and then reinvesting that capital into a multitude of DeFi uh, protocols um, in the space. And because I think the problem they have as central uh, entities is that they keep on growing. Like Celsius has like you know somewhere between ten and fifteen billion dollars of you know capital probably sitting around somewhere. Uh, same thing with like you know BlockFi, the other kind of you know entities. They all have you know huge quantities of, of like of capital, but they don't. The, the more capital you have, the more difficult it gets to, to find yield for it, right? Especially in a sufficient amount of yield for it, right? Um, same thing like Warren Buffett has the same problem. Like Warren Buffett is so wealthy, you know, and at Berkshire Hathaway is so wealthy that like. You can't just like you know buy into any old stock on the market. It just would be worthless time in most most of the cases. And so, the the wealthier that he gets, the more difficult the game gets for him to finding a, a method, like a reasonable methodology of actually you know investing all these hundreds of billions of dollars of, of like you know USD. And so it's the same thing with BlockFi and all them. Like they like BlockFi historically has used uh, GBDC as their income source to, for the yield on on Bitcoin. And it's you know that's GBC is not that great. It's not that consistent. It's you know. No, I don't think anybody, including BlockFi, would say that that's like their long-term support system uh, for obvious reasons. And that's partially why the yield for Bitcoin on BlockFi is just like, you know, it's super low. Like it's, they, they, you go to the website, they say, oh, it's like 5%. But like, reality, it's not. It's like 5% for the first like 
you know, tens of a Bitcoin or something like this. And then like after that, it's like a quarter of a percent or something kind of crazy low. And so like they have to do that because they don't have a, a mechanism to, to generate yield, right? Whereas source chain, it could be a bad mechanism for them, right? Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how this how that happens. I think they're going to they're going to naturally adopt DeFi and and not just source chain, but other projects and communities as well as a methodology for generating yield for their user base. And they're going to be pressure on them to just adopt more and more DeFi, you know, to do so. And eventually, you won't even need them anymore. You just you know, you just you know, provide your own capital to the source chain or whatever else you want to do, and then you get a better yield than if you give it to them. You know. Yeah, I can see a world where BlockFi just uses ThorFi to do the, do its lending. Um, I think what the kind of the issue with these like big institutional players is like they don't want to risk facing a DeFi protocol right now, so they're all like kind of scared about doing that, and you know it's kind of a heavy lift. So it'll be interesting, interesting to see. Like I think it's inevitable because it's it just makes so much sense. So it'll be interesting to see like the steps that they take to get there, um, and maybe it's like kind of a, a service in between that they face and that that interfaces with Thorchain for them or something. But it'll it'll be cool to see. I think over the next few years we'll we'll see that start to happen. Yeah, and and they have to operate very differently than like than you or I have to operate as retail investors. Like they're dealing with huge quantities of billions of dollars of other people's money, and and they don't know regulatory speaking like what is what. Like they don't really have a good sense of it. I mean, BlockFi just went through this whole like cease and desist letter recently, you know, and that caused this whole thing. Blah blah blah. Like, and even when they're investing into you know some particular DeFi platform, you know, like let's just call it Terra for example, you know, Anchor Protocol for example. Well, what risk do they take on? Because you know, you know, Terra is being sued by the SEC for you know buying and trading securities like Apple stock, for example, via the Mirror Protocol. And so, what legal risk does you know BlockFi take on by interacting with the Anchor Protocol? Like, is there you know, oh, and all of a sudden the Anchor Protocol uses UST as a, as a stablecoin, which is not backed by the U.S. dollar, a one to one to one. Therefore, is it considered to be blah blah blah? Like. All that stuff creates so much like complexity and just like confusion. And there's just no guidelines at all until you just get this massive letter from ACC telling you cease and desist or your Coinbase a few months ago where Coinbase was going to launch an interest program and, and like they asked permission for the SEC and ACC like, nope, don't do it. And like, all right, I guess we won't do it anymore. <laughs> like, it's just this weird kind of situation. Like, I don't envy BlockFi at all about the difficulties they have to go through. I pretty much oh prefer God, the De- no DeFi space where I don't have to think about that kind of shit. I'm just going to build <laughs> what should exist in the world and I don't really give two shits what exactly. you know, a particular government thinks about it. And this is what shouldn't exist in the world. I'm just going to you know, make that happen <laughs> just, through, just through engineering work and effort. That is the way. This is the way. And uh, you know, Celsius just got slapped with that $100 million fine a couple months ago. <laughs> it's just absolutely crazy. Yeah, I don't envy them at all. I mean, they have a tough job. But I, I almost see them like... It's kind of like when the car was first invented and some guy was like selling like a, like a, a, a mod, like a mod for your car where you could like hook your horses to the car. Like, Oh, you know, if it breaks down, you can sell your user horses to like move your car around as like, as like a, as like a chariot or whatever the room is for that thing, whatever. Like it makes complete sense in the beginning days of cars. I like to have like, Oh, you can hook your, your horse to the car too and pull it if you want to. But then like, it just makes no sense at all. So it's, I, I feel like sometimes it's sort of like Celsius. And, and other ones are like sense in, in the interim, but like long term, I just don't know how they're gonna be able to survive. They just have too much regulation, too much expectations, too much. Like I don't know how they're gonna do it, to be honest. Yeah, and it's like the rules get like retroactively created. It's like BlockFi has been like you know uh, giving their customers this yield product for I don't know at least a year, and then now the SEC is like, oh well, you shouldn't have done that. Like you know you messed up. But it's like the rules weren't you know firmly established. So it's like, they're just going out there trying things. And then usually 
just getting rugged by the SEC, and it's just a mess. Oh, yeah. Complete, utter mess. And there's still no, like, at some point, the U.S. has to kind of give some guidelines here. And in order to do so, the, the SEC can't actually do it themselves because they have to operate from the context of the law, and law doesn't really operate from the context of crypto or the digital realm or anything within the past hundred fucking years. <laughs> so it's just like, it's like, like I, you know, Gensler can't really do much. He doesn't have as much power as we think that he does because he has to operate within the confines of what Congress has written as, as like as law. And, and in order to do, in order to do something, empower him to, to take more, you know, to give more like clarity. They have to really define some words like the term security and the term like what is a digital asset and what is actually an exchange. Like technically speaking, like from right now, according to the SEC, uh, Fortune is not an exchange because it doesn't have order books. Order books is actually the definition of what it actually defines as an exchange. So like technically speaking, Fortune is actually not an exchange according to the SEC because we don't have order books. <laughs> right. So like they have to like rethink and redesign and redefine almost everything about finance <laughs> in order to, to really get some clarity going. And I really don't have any kind of faith in the Congress to like really wrap their heads and brains around the idea of like DeFi, especially when it's moving at the ridiculously speed, like fast speeds that it removes that. It's like, they don't even understand Facebook yet. And that's a fucking grandpa <laughs> in the, con- <laughs> in the con- context of like technology. Like, they don't even understand what how Facebook makes money. Like it was a little legitimate question that was asked to to you know <laughs> Marky Mark over there about you know about how how do you make well, like, we run ads, Senator? <laughs> yeah, that that was that was oh man that that was a cringe cringe video. That, that was, was a tough. Cringe and do you think they really gonna understand crypto? <laughs> yeah, they're used guys. Also, the fact that like the jurisdiction is like so. It's not black and white because like Thorchain isn't a US company. It's not a European company. It's not a company. It's like it's run by like these anonymous nodes around the world. So it's like they can't even really argue that like Thorchain needs to abide by like rules of the US or like laws of the US because it's just not a US company. So like it, that gets really crazy. Like I don't know how they're gonna like reconcile but not that, only that effect. It's like it's not part of the US in any sense. Right. Like like if right. Thorchain was attacked tomorrow, would the US militarily defend it? No, no, that wouldn't. No, <laughs> so, definitely, so definitely not. Like, if, if you're not gonna like, you know, it's not built. You know, we don't utilize the roads and highways of you know the U.S. to, to know to run Thorchain, right? I mean, we don't we don't get protection from the military, and we don't like like there's, there's no you know uh, uh, social nets or safety nets underneath it all. Like, there's nothing. Like, you're not involved at all. So, like, I don't understand why you would a have the you know right to regulate something that you don't have any participation in whatsoever. Like you can regulate the dollar all you want. The inputs and outputs of entering and leaving the dollar tax and regulate that all you want. That's, that's your, that's your domain. That's perfectly fine. But like within the context of like any cryptocurrency for the most part, like you're not really part of it. You don't really have a right to, to regulate it because it's not part of your system whatsoever, nor are you involved with it in any sense or form. And nor do you have any really reasonable right to tax it either. Like, why are you taxing Bitcoin? It's not a U.S. company like Apple is or like Tesla is. It's not part of your New York Stock Exchange. It's not part of like any of that system whatsoever. So like, why the hell are you regulating it or taxing it? I would say. Yeah. That being said, I'm sure they will try to find a way. You know, once once store change. Well, yeah, they want the control. They want they want tax yeah. because it's a lot of money to be taxed, and they want to be able yeah. to control it because they want to be, they don't want Bitcoin to become the reserve currency and beat out the dollar, which to me is inevitability. Right. Yeah. Oh man, I'm looking forward to this Chad Barford uh, testimony in 2028. It's going to be a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I will be like I will just like try not to like 
insult the hell out of them just because like they'll ask me some ridiculously dumb question and i'll just like try to withhold my face from looking at them like they're in complete and utter moron like i don't think i'll i don't think I'll, I'd, I'd probably be held in contempt to be honest with you. like i don't think i'd be able to withstand a barrage from like <laughs> congressmen and senators without yelling at them like where have you been for the last 10 years god damn <laughs> Yeah, they're already pretty far behind, and they're not getting any closer anytime soon. So we'll just keep plowing ahead uh, in the meantime, and we'll just leave them further in the dust. So uh, Thorchain-related, uh, Thornane is launching on Monday. So that, that feature is going fully live on Monday, and the pre-registered name should be just... So if you pre-registered a name in June, that should just be up and, and running on Monday, correct? Yeah, so it can come out with version 88, um, so, which I think is going to be released on Monday. That's the current thinking of plan. Uh, so as long as all, all that's true and, and the network adopts it, uh, version 88 and all that kind of stuff, then I think Thornames will be going live that same day. So whenever 88 comes out and it's adopted by the network, that's when Thornames is going to go live in the community, which is great for uh, simply for like affiliate fees so that people can make more um, trades, uh, more help the uh, integrations integrate with us better. Sweet. Um, going along with Thornames, I'm curious, like, I, I know... Uh, you know, this is it's been a long time coming, Thornames. So I think the pre-sale was last June or something like that, almost like almost ten or eleven months ago. Uh, is there going to be like, is there a, a marketplace with it? Is there a website where you could buy a Thornames on, on Monday once it goes live for people that um, you know have, have joined since then? Yeah, I think um, Thorswap uh, Thornames dot com or something like this, where you can go online and acquire. It's not marketplace yet in the sense of like being able to like, oh, I have this Thornames and I want to offer it up for you know, a hundred rune or, or like whatever. Um, that was a kind of a thought that we might have for like Thor names V2, but we just wanted to get the, the basic functionality and, and kind of the fundamentals correct. And then we could worry about like secondary markets or like this kind of stuff. But we'll see what the demand is. I'm not sure what, what the demand for that will actually be. Maybe it'll be high, maybe it'll be low. Like I really don't have any good sense of it, but we'll just let the, the free market kind of inform us what, what, what's needed by the community. Fair enough. So, um, anything else coming to uh, 88, version 88, which is coming on Monday? There is a lot. There's a lot of things uh, in 88. Uh, we're actually doing a release walkthrough uh, Monday morning, um, which unfortunately is not great for um, Asia or Australia, I don't think. But um, yeah, we're going we're, we're gonna to try to start doing this um, with you know, releases in general and especially releases that have um, some new functionality that node operators will want to consider. Um, so I can like pull up a list here and see what, um, one thing that's going in is, um, the ability for a node operator to change the uh, operator fee for pool validators. So right now we just kind of had a default, uh, 2000 basis points, which is like 20%. Um, and so when you have a pool validator, you know, the operator would get a 20% fee on any rewards from the, uh, bond providers bond. Um, and what's going out now is that the operator will be able to change that to a custom fee. Um, if a bond provider has already bonded, um, they can only lower it. They can't increase it. If they want to increase it, um, the bond providers will have to unbond. Um, and then the node, node provider can change that to a higher fee if they, if they want. Um, so that's one, one kind of cool feature that's going out. And let's see what else. Yeah, the other thing is a, um, an upgrade to the uh, ETH router, which is going to be happening as part of that as well. Uh, and what that is going to be kind of unlocking is... Um, the uh, uh, dex aggregation for uh, for Ethereum's on the Ethereum side of things. So, um, with that and the dex aggregation code itself being launched in version eighty nine, um, I think we'll have support for. At least on, this is true for stage net. We'll have to wait until it's uh, ready on um, 
Um, and that will do some testing first for a while on stage net, but on stage net, you'll be able to um, swap in or swap out at, at aggregating one or multiple DEXs together to kind of in a single transaction move from one place to another place, no matter where that place is. Yeah, that's gonna be huge. How is so that? Uh, that's I, sorry. How is the adoption sorry, for the, the the pooled bond providers going? Because after like a week or two of that, I remember seeing that uh, you know a lot of nodes have kind of consolidated and bolstered up their bonds using uh, the pool validator features. Uh, I'm wondering, have you guys seen the, the progress on how that's uh, you know has has that been growing or uh, is that still a widely used feature? Yeah, I mean it's actually more utilized than I would have guessed. To be honest with you. Um, yeah, maybe it's it was like last time I looked, and I haven't looked in a, in a few weeks, so it's, maybe it's different today. But last time I looked, it was like eighteen of the of the nodes were uh, using this bond provider feature, where like multiple people were bonded to a single node. That's a pretty high number. I actually wasn't expecting it to be that high. To be honest, with you. that was more adoption of that feature than I would have guessed. Uh, I would have, I would have thought maybe five or like ten would have been considered high in my mind. Um, but no, I guess if you double that, it's closer to 20 at this point. So that's pretty cool. That's good, good to see that those people have an ability to, to earn more, to send more rune into the bond side and allow more people to participate in the community rather than just like the ultra whale with, you know, whales to, to be able to run nodes. And then you can, you know, I can run it with even, even a, a, a you know, handful of your friends can like, often together, which is pretty neat. Just allow more people to participate, which is great. Yeah. Um, the other, there's actually two things that are like more process oriented that are going on. So um, there was this thing that was proposed um, is called like architecture design record. And this is what I think a lot of like big tech companies do. But you know, if there's going to be a large architect uh, architecture change opposed to Thorchain, it's like you basically open a doc and you kind of go through the spec and you, um, you walk through the spec, you, you talk about what the purpose is, what the problem is that you're trying to solve. And then you can get community feedback on that. And then you get um, kind of consolidation, you get uh, agreement on like what the actual implementation is going to be um, before you even start working on it. So that just helps like features kind of get designed and built the right way as everyone understands it and then kind of get input from like node operators as well as the community before things are developed, um, which should be a, a nice like process change. And then the other process change is kind of trying to formalize the process of adding new chains. Um, and things have been like pretty ad hoc with, with, uh, with Terra um, and Adam now, but we're, we're trying to kind of formalize this. And these are going to be like living and breathing documents so that like, you know, as like planned obsolescence happens and, and the core team kind of moves on, you know, these processes are put in place and agreed upon by the community so that like, you know, when, once this is more of a community oriented and, and driven project, like those processes are in place for, for them to follow. Um, and so this new chain process kind of like goes over like proposing a new chain. Um, and then, you know, Developing the new chain, what you know, what are the technical requirements for that? Um, finding an auditor and and you know, including the audit, audit in the chain pull request, and then you know, moving to StageNet in the StageNet baking process, and then the rollout process for mainnet. Um, and this also includes like a node operator vote. So you know, falling back to that that minimal governance of node operators being the ones that kind of formally decide what is run on the network, and getting input and buy-in for each new chain that's added from the node op- operators before any massive amount of work is put into it. And so that's what we're going to kind of try to formalize with the next chains that we're adding. So going off that, uh, the chains being worked on right now are basically Atom, AVAX, Dash, probably with Atom seeing the first uh, first to hit stage net, correct? Yeah, most likely. It's looking like, that. Um, yeah, I need to actually bump the node operator vote. Um, I think we're at like 42% or something. Um, but yeah, that's in pull request now. I mean, it's a pretty much a copy of the, the Terra client. So it should be you know, a minimal review process. And then that's probably going to be, uh, 
in stage net first, I think I'm going to kick off the vote for Dash. Um, so we'll see how the, the node operators um, respond to that one. That's been a pull request for like seven months. So we definitely want to like, you know, get that reviewed and get it into stage net um, if we can. And then probably AVAX next after that. Great. Those are going to be huge integrations. Uh, just think the success of the, the Terra launch and, uh, you know, how much that's added to Thorchain as a whole. It, that's been pretty incredible. And especially uh, AVAX, I mean, all, all these AVAX, Adam and Dash are going to be uh, just amazing to add to Thorchain. Just the interoperability there is going to be really mm-hmm. good for all the, especially the, the aggregators, which we, we haven't even talked about today yet, which is coming soon. Uh, man, it's going to, it just opens up so many more possibilities, especially the, the low, the low gas chains like, like AVAX. And then, yep. oh man, there's just so much good stuff coming. Yeah, no, it's great. And we, we are really trying. I mean, Terra was a very successful launch in, in a lot of ways. And we're trying to like learn from that um, and apply that to, you know, every chain integration we do. Um, and so, you know, like the Terra, Terra community was just so pumped about this. And, you know, having the Twitter space, joint Twitter spaces, for example, was amazing. Um, so we're like, I think like, we're really trying to focus on repeating that uh, and making each of these chain integrations like very impactful. Um, and so, you know, we're kind of, you know, and the process doc has been kind of like created and merged and, and we're going to keep on like iterating and improving as we go, each each one. Yeah, every time we add one of these chains, hopefully we're just room pilling an entire, you know, multi-billion dollar community, right? Yeah, just gonna, exactly. As you saw with Terra, like this, every metric went up, right? Trade volume, LPs, you know, the TVL, room price, like everything, more like everything, you know, shot up uh, as, you know, adding. And so... As you said, like we're gonna to try to recreate that as much as we can um, with you know Gaia and uh, Dash and uh, uh, Avalanche and such. Awesome. So I guess next we can talk about what's coming in the, the release after the the one that'll be put out on Monday, uh, which will be version eighty nine, and that will add Dex aggregators and derived assets, which are you know two two of the most awaited features besides chain integrations because uh we, we all know that dex aggregation will just link thorchain to you know more liquidity sources like like uniswap uh, sushi and there's just kind of kind of everything else to bring the long tail to the short tail and then uh drive is just a whole another beast which is uh going to be one of the the pillars of thorfi so those should be coming to StageNet uh in a couple weeks correct like two weeks yeah, probably about that. Uh, if, it, if everything goes smoothly and such, sometimes we push features back another version, depending on cases and scenarios. But um, but you know that can happen. But like probably we'll in the next couple of weeks or so. Uh, once we have it on stage net, we're, we're going to leave them off on the main net uh, for a while. We'll let them let them bake on stage net for some period, get some testing going, making sure they all look good, feel good, that kind of stuff. And then whenever we're ready to you know enable them on main on main net, then we can go through a, a Nova Mirror process too. All right, let's, you know, the team, the core team is behind the idea of, you know, we've tested it, we verified it, the community system verified it. Let's, you know, let's, let's flip the bitch on and, <laughs> and run some next uh, irrigation and uh, derived assets on, on mainnet, which would be huge. I gargantuan. Yeah, we, we've talked about tax aggregation a lot. So if, if you're curious about that, you should definitely uh, go on Rootbase and look at the, uh, the the AMA with Rango exchange and some of the past spaces that we've done. Uh, we talk about tax aggregation a lot. But t- today, let's, let's talk a little bit about derived assets. because That's probably one of the most killer features of, of ThorFi that's that's coming. Uh, just the the dynamics of the derived assets, which would be like ThorBTC. Uh, ThorBTC being probably the, the biggest uh, you know, of the derived assets, but, uh, so Chad, could you, would you be able to quickly explain what, uh, derived assets are and what that means for the Yeah. 
So a derived asset is a synthetic asset. So we have synthetic assets on the network today already, which is what we call them since. And the derived asset is conceptually similar to that. They're both synthetic assets, both collateralized by an asset that's not themselves, like not collateralized by Bitcoin itself or not collateralized by the thing that it's representing. And so they're both considered to be synthetic, synthetic assets, but they, they, the way that they are backed is structurally very different. One is uses the pool, which is what the synthetics use today. And a derived asset is, is, is backed by the room token itself, effectively. The room holder itself is the, the backer of that thing. So uh, derived assets is very similar conceptually to how Luna UST works in some ways um, from, a, from, from a basics perspective, but it's very different once you get into the nitty gritty. Uh, but basically, you're, you're burning one asset, Luna in one case, or Rune in this case, and then you're minting another asset, which is UST in, in Terra's case, or Thor USD slash Thor BDC slash Thor F slash Thor Doge or uh, Luna um, on our chain. Uh, so what this is going to basically going to do, launch derived assets, for BD or F will probably not be used very much because there won't be a demand for it, um, and at least not, not on day one by, um, by, de by design. But Thor USD will because you can actually acquire Thor USD, lock it up into the USD uh, savers, and then earn um, yield on everything and burning of a, any derived asset goes into the, the, the swap fee goes into the um, into the USD vault. So anybody who wants to earn a stable on top of their stable without ruin exposure, this is the place to be, right? Uh, somewhat conceptually to the to the anchor protocols kind of earn USD on your USD kind of thing. Uh, we do not do like a like a fixed rate twenty percent blah, blah blah thing that anchor has been doing for a while. That's their game. We have a different strategy. Um, yield will just be whatever the market demands the yield is going to be, whatever that's going to be. Um, but until we actually add a IBC or we add uh, Thor savings, uh, the other assets, Thor, Thor BDC, Thor F will probably not be utilized very much. We need to create demand center for them first, uh, which is perfectly fine. Uh, that will happen, you know, a few months later for sure. So the, the derived asset for, you know, Thor USD is going to be awesome with the the savings vault there, but then the other derived assets, uh, this isn't coming right away, but with, with ThorFi, when the blue chip savings vaults are, are you know rolled out, you lock those derived assets into a, a blue chip savings vault and you're effectively just earning Bitcoin on your Bitcoin, uh, you know, ETH on your ETH and, you know, et cetera. Right. So that, that's what's right. crazy. This is, one of the, this is one of the biggest blockers that ThorChain has for like adoption. In many respects is that like, people want to LP because they want to earn Bitcoin on their Bitcoin, but they don't want to take half room room exposure because they're just not room fans themselves at this point, right? Largely because the market cap is much smaller than Bitcoin. So obviously the demand is very different. So like, if you think about, if you like create like a, a, a Venn diagram in your, in your mind and you have one circle that is, you know, the room circle, which is like people who want to earn on their room, right? Which is like, let's just call that $2 billion market cap. So it's the circles at the size of like, uh, you know, like an orange or something like this. And then you think about the Bitcoin people, which is, you know, over a trillion dollars. So that's obviously, you know, <laughs> like a lot different. And so uh, the amount of people who want to earn Bitcoin with Bitcoin is like gargantuanly, like this incredibly mindlessly large, right? And the people who want to earn Rune and Bitcoin is a kind of the, the, the union between these two circles, which is a small little sliver, this little tiny thing, which is, you know, right now is about $100 million, according to the Bitcoin pool is today, right? So it's a very small little sliver of what can be unleashed with uh, interest accounts on without room exposure. So like for me, like when I think about this mathematically or just, you know, object, objective logic, I think, um, well, how, because the number of people or the number of capital that want to earn BDC and their BDC without room exposure is like 500 X or thousand X or how the number actually is. 
greater than the people who want to earn on their own. Like, what does that mean? Well, that basically means that people are going to be burning, they're going to be burning, uh, sending, uh, swapping in Bitcoin to burn Rune to acquire Thor BDC to get a, you know, a, a yield on that, and that BXC. And the capital that we're talking about, in terms of my view, will probably be an order of two larger than the actual pool is, right? So I think there's going to be a strong tendency that, you know, the Bitcoin, you know, the amount of capital and Thor savings for Bitcoin is going to be, you know, 5, 10x, something like this, uh, like much, much, much larger just because the people who want to earn BDC is a much larger group of people than the people who want to earn BDC and room, which is a much smaller group of people, right? So I think that we're going to see uh, a massive quantity of room being burned uh, in the BDC by the BDC pool, or the F pool, or the Luna pool, or you know whatever it doesn't matter. Uh, we'll see huge quantities of room burn. At least in my opinion, that's true. Uh, just speaking logically speaking, um, and when that happens, we're going to see you know a, a huge adoption of this network. Now people are actually participating in it, whether or not they're aware they're participating in it. Like in the sense that uh, you know a Bitcoin maxi will never want to touch your whole room token, right? And in this context, they don't, right? They just, they hold Bitcoin, they put Bitcoin in the system and they get Bitcoin out later. And then at no point would they actually really expose the rune asset. And by doing so, they just burnt a fuck ton of rune as part of the process, whether they're aware of it or not aware of that, right? And so you basically figure out a way to mobilize a maxi on Bitcoin to participate in the Thorchain network and and give great value to, the, to this network in the rune token just by... Uh, Supplying them an opportunity to earn BDC on the BDC without exposure to any other assets. That's pretty. I mean, that doesn't blow your mind. I don't know what the hell it would. Yeah, I mean, to give some sense of scale of the market for single sided yield on Bitcoin, Celsius looks like they hold over 150,000 Bitcoins. And BlockFi, I believe, is just over 100,000 Bitcoins. And even, even just a percentage of uh, that amount of, of Bitcoin, which is ser- searching for yield. And, and again, these, these services only give like you know, 0.2% or, or something like insanely low uh, on anything over like a, a very small amount of Bitcoin. And it's like, you know, maybe like maybe 5% up to the, the first like 0.1 Bitcoin or something, you know, it, just terrible rates. And, uh, you know, people are going to be searching for, for yield in a, in a better spot and you can get single-sided Bitcoin yield here. Um, a small percentage of what's in Celsius and BlockFi right now is the entire Rune market cap. <laughs> that's, that's a crazy number to think about. Yeah, because you're you're getting a higher yield in a decentralized <laughs> over a centralized way, which is a much lower yield. In fact, like it would not surprise me at all if, if, a, if a, at least some segment of that, you know, hundreds of thousands of Bitcoin that you were just referring to for Celsius and BlockFi could find their way into you know, the savings account itself, like them themselves. Like, well, we, we need to give the, our you know, we say got to stay competitive as a company. And we need to give our users higher yield where we can get, you know, BDC yield. Oh, wait, there's this thing called Thorchain and I can get BDC yield on my BDC and blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, so even, even if we don't necessarily like beat Celsius and convince people to move from Celsius to Thorchain, Celsius may make the choice for their users to put their Bitcoin into Thorchain. Either way, in my view, the Bitcoin's coming to Thorchain. It doesn't matter who you're talking about. Just do the math. I, th- I think if like, like 15 to 20 percent of what's in BlockFi and uh, in Celsius moves to the, the blue chip savings vaults on Thorchain. That's the entire market cap of Rune that is uh, that is burned in in dollar value amount. Yeah, you're burning. <laughs> I mean, just a silly math number, but yes, you're you're burning more Rune than the entire market cap that Rune existed that exists today. <laughs> it's ludicrous, but it's true. 
Hey, gents, I gotta I gotta hop off for for lunch, but um, yeah, thank you for uh for hosting me and, and looking forward to seeing you guys here in a few weeks. Do, do you want to just talk about the uh, about the uh, uh, expo again, real quick? Because I think there's a lot more people in now than before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sorry, thank you. Um, real quick. All right. No, 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 perfect. I'm, I'm happy to. Um, and yeah, thanks for, thanks for that nudge. Um, so yeah, we mentioned this at the top of the call, but yeah, it looks like there's a, almost like a hundred people in here now. So awesome. Yeah. Um, we're super excited about this. Um, I, I live in Austin, Texas and, um, the biggest, one of the biggest crypto conferences in the U S um, is coming to Austin next month. It's called consensus. It's hosted by CoinDesk. Um, it's June 8th through 12th. And so when we saw that, you know, our, our, uh, kind of uh, gears started turning and we wanted to think about how we could have a presence for, for Thorchain and all of our Thorchain ecosystem friends and partners, um, during that week and, you know, help, um, help Thorpill consensus and Thorpill the, the Austin community. And so, uh, we just teased for the first time now, uh, the, uh, the first ever kind of multi-chain cross-chain Thorchain, um, expo slash mini conference. And so you can see the pinned tweet here in the Twitter space. Um, it's called uh, cross chain expo 2022. It'll be Wednesday, June 8th in Austin, Texas. Um, and yeah, we'll have representatives from Thorchain, from nine realms, broker, Thor wallet. Um, we're talking to pretty much all the ecosystem projects, um, DeFi spot, Thor starter, Rango exchange, et cetera. Um, and it'll just be yeah, an afternoon of programming. What, uh, what we'll do is Essentially, we'll have uh, we'll have lunch from twelve to one, and then we'll have some talks and panels uh, around like multi-chain and all the things that are happening in Thorchain and the surrounding ecosystem. Um, that'll be from one to five thirty, and then we'll have a happy hour from five thirty to eight o'clock, um, and that'll uh, start the you know that's like midweek, and then uh, consensus is uh, starts the next day, Thursday through the weekend. So we're super excited for that. Um, it's uh, if you want to check it out um, here on Twitter, it's. Uh, cross chain expo at cross chain expo uh on the web it's crosschain.so you can get tickets there it's free forgot to mention that it's uh, completely free so come by we'll have free food free drinks um and we'll get to connect with um you know a lot of this community and the, the developers and the um and the founders that are that are helping kind of push forward this, this multi-chain future so yeah hope to, hope to see you guys all there uh wednesday june 8th crosschain.so and uh yeah we'll uh we'll boogie chad chad cower coming yeah, I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll be there to chat with people and I'll do a talk on the stage at some point somewhere. Uh, and I'll, you know, it'd be great to see you. It'd be great to hang out with everybody for sure. Awesome. We're looking forward to it. Cal, thank you again, sir. Thanks, Sagan. Catch you later. All right. Take care, man. Take care, y'all. I'm actually most excited to meet uh, Chad Thoreau. I think he's going to be there, right? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm trying to convince him. Uh, come on. You like him there? Yeah. I've never, I've never met him in person. You and I have met in person once before or twice before. Um, but I, I would love to meet uh, Thoreau in person. Yeah, me too. You should sponsor him to come out. I'm going to haggle him every every Friday at noon uh, to come out. <laughs> if he doesn't, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to weekly publicly shame him until he, just, until he agrees to come. Sweet. So is there anything else that we need to uh, talk about before we go into some questions here? I'm good. I, uh, I think we covered everything. Yeah, me just coming is... Uh, like from a network perspective, mainnet's already ready. Like there's no changes need to be for the network itself. We're just we wanted to kind of celebrate mainnet with uh, with, a, with a launch or something else, and so we're waiting for the other uh, partners, if you want to call them that, to get their all their ducks in a row. This should be the next two weeks or so, I think. All right. I guess we can bring up some people for questions. If you have uh, questions about you know derived assets. Uh, aggregators or mainnet or this Kraken launch. Actually, there are, there are two uh, two things that uh, are new this week that we didn't talk about yet. Um, 
So first is um, some some news yesterday from the uh, Akash founder that they announced that uh, they'd be basically getting the, the hardware that uh, a, a Thor node would be able to run on uh, Akash's decentralized network. So I'm not really like I'm, I'm not too knowledgeable about uh, Akash, but that must be very good for uh, node operators, right? So they don't have to start finding their own bare metal setups. Yeah, I'm interested to see what this whole Akash concept. Um, I don't know enough about it at this point in time, to be honest with you. Like, I have a lot of questions about um, security, for example. Like, who who's running these nodes? And if they're running anonymously, then how can we be sure that the node, that the operator of the actual physical node, whoever that random person is that's a part of the Akash network, doesn't have you know root access to the the environment that the node operator is running within? That's really important. So, I, so before I can kind of like you know, publicly put myself behind the cost like, I'm interested to see it. I, I kind of want to see it happen, but I, I need to look deeper into the the security implications of that. And I also force like also has to do a deep dive into a cost and understand the, the security implications of what it would mean to run on top of something like this. So uh, I'm excited to see more information come out as it comes out. Um, and we'll do more research as it, you know, as it, as it, uh, you know, becomes uh, in our forefront. Also, the other thing is the uh, bug bounty program just uh, underwent some recent revisions. So that increased the uh, the maximum bounty uh, up to uh, a million right now for the, the maximum uh, criticality levels for like a total loss of funds event. Uh, and also uh, introduced some lower criticality levels for uh, things like consensus failure and uh, accounting errors and stuff. I don't know if you have anything else to add to that, Aradonis. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we, as ThorChain, again, grows in, in TVL, like it's going to be important to attract the most talented white hats. And I think this is a step in the right direction. I think we'll keep on kind of considering how we can improve it moving forward. I think, you know, increasing to, to 1 million um, for loss of funds. And yeah, the, the two lower critical, criticality levels are um, a, a high criticality level, which is the payout is up to 100,000. Uh, dollars and that's for um, a consensus failure or otherwise a chain halt. So basically, bringing Thorchain down so it's not producing blocks, which is you know um, I would say like the second worst thing that can happen besides loss of funds. Um, and uh, so we're going to reward people if they can find a code path that can do that up to hundred thousand dollars. And then uh, a medium criticality level, which is basically you know the accounting is not operating as it should. So maybe rewards are going to the wrong people or going you know in, in the wrong way or bond providers aren't getting what they deserve or node operators aren't getting what they deserve or LPs are um, not not getting, not redeeming as many assets or ruin as they should. So things like that. And that max payout is up to $10,000. Um, so, so yeah, when we're going to keep on kind of listening to community feedback and, and keep looking at it moving forward. Sweet. Uh, and the bug bounty program is administered by ImmuneFi. So if anyone's interested in checking that out, uh, just look for ThorChain on ImmuneFi. All right, we can go into... Some Q and A. Uh, if anyone has questions, just hit the button in the bottom left to request to speak, and we'll let some people up. Uh, just for some some rules for uh, rules of engagement here. Uh, no no trolls or shills. We'll we'll just kick you off the stage, and uh, that's about it. <laughs> but one one more uh, add on to what uh, your Dennis was saying while people are uh, clicking the uh, request button. Um, what's kind of fascinating about by increasing people don't really realize, uh, and I actually haven't. Brought up even within the team, I even need to do that. But um, that when we actually increase the limit of the 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 bug bounty to like a million dollars, whatever, that technically means that we can also uh, increase or decrease the sensitivity of delaying outbound transactions on the network. Because part of the point of delayed outbound transactions is 
that we flip the economics of becoming a, making it more profitable to be a white hat than it is profitable to be a black hat, right? And so, because you've kind of created more uh, capital to be to be you know for you know, a white hat, you can technically um, decrease the sensitivity of delayed outbound so that they they don't get delayed as, as long, or you know it takes a larger uh, amount of capital or trade volume to push um, to push the um, the, uh, the the delay of those outbound transactions. So that's something that we should talk about internally. Uh, and kind of go through some math and, and kind of simulate some things. But we might. It makes sense to me to actually to change the sensitivity of the delayed outbound for this purpose. That's a cool idea. Yeah, I'm looking to a little bit more. Sweet. Yeah, I die. What's up, man? Yeah, uh, um, I, I, I may disagree with that point, Chad. I, I think maybe it uh, it, it delays. Um, it, like it, it, it obviously delays how fast they can they can uh, withdraw funds, but I, I don't think it changes the the economic incentives too much. Um, but I'm, I'm definitely glad to see that the bug bounty is, is has an increase. I think it's still a little lower than what the, success, the successful hacker suggested. And considering he was successful, I think maybe you know taking his his, his word um, uh, or taking his his advice would be wise. Um, so I, I think I like I, I would like to see an improvement. There as well. Um, something else that I, I was I had a little concern about was, you know, there's there's a lot of different protocols that are uh, that are that face regulatory risk in the future. Um, but Thorchain is the only one that has anonymous node operators. And I was wondering if uh, if the protocol felt that you could increase trust with the community um, that uh, if, if if node operators were weren't anonymous. Um, and, and in that sense, uh, community, community community members could ensure that you know not just that not just the node, node operators are in fact distinct and, and diversified, but they also have diversified interests, so that they can they can um, they can uh, ensure that, that that they're moving moving in, in, the, in the right direction together, or 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 or, or ensuring that um, the actions are 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 are, are with the community's best in heart. Uh, well, so we've always pushed node operators to stay anonymous and, and not to dox themselves. Um, and the main reason why that is is because if you don't, if you if you dox yourself and expose who you are, you create the opportunity for, for the potential for node operators to have you know backroom conversations and and such, and, and you create opportunity for collusion. Um, I can not speaking, we, we kind of just incentivize uh, collusion of any kind because it's not profitable. But it doesn't mean we we don't want uh, to kind of flirt with the devil in some sense. And so we've always pushed against that to make sure that that the node operators are uh, anonymous. And I think I'd continue to push for that. There's no actual, there's no value in actually having people dox themselves. Uh, I mean, people can choose to if they want to. If an individual node operator in the world wants to dox themselves as running a node, then they can make a choice for themselves. But uh, I don't see the the value gained, uh, you know, knowing who's operating these this node versus that node versus the other node over there. Yeah, I, yeah, I like, think I just say so I think I argue that uh, currently, like, node operators can could potentially still communicate because you have um, there's you know there's 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 groups like like nine R that 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 pool funds together and and, and run nodes and 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 have have uh, a lot of weight in the offsec. Um, and that's, that's not to disparage anything. It's just, I just think that might help develop the community. And how, how, how does how does that allow them to collude, though? Because if, if they're if they're if they're running multiple nodes together, that they can nodes can essentially collude because they're operated by the same team. So, well, okay, but that's if a single person is running, you know, two or three nodes or whatever. Then yes, those two or three nodes can collude. True. But that, that's not what we're talking about here. The, the idea of getting multiple node operators across multiple nodes to collude becomes 
completely impractical if everybody doesn't know who anybody is. The only thing that can uh, node operators have to communicate is through, you know, that make relay command, which it cryptographically proves who they are, but they don't have an ability to, to message privately. Every communication they have is, is in the public Discord channel and everybody can read it, including non-node operators. And so if anybody goes in there and says, hey, uh, my telegram handle is this, let's all have a secret conversation, that exposes that individual node as somebody who's trying to have, you know, backroom conversations and might result in that node getting banned. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't, so I'm not sure how getting banned would, would, would be a deterrent. Um, but I, I, I think that's, that's just one suggestion that, I, that like I came up with as a community member to, to, to build trust with other, uh, that, that I think could help build trust. Um, the, it's, this just seems to be the only protocol that has anonymous node operators. Um, that's, that's just so, so you don't understand why somebody getting banned from the network and not being able to make the yield they're trying to make to be a disincentive? I th sorry, I thought you mentioned that, that node operators might get banned from the Discord. And I don't no, know no, that was banned the, from the, sorry, the network. Yeah, node operators have the ability to ban no other node operators with a two-thirds consensus out of the network itself. So say, you know, Eric Danisi was running a node and he wanted to like, you know, do some active collusion or, or behave in a way that was against the best interest of the network. Two thirds of the network can just say, "Don't like your Danis over here," and we're going to go ahead and kick him out of the network. Can he theoretically just move his rune to a different rune wallet and just start operating a node there as well? Like, I'm not sure how. Yeah, you could, but that would all be public information on the chain anyway. It'd be, you know, it wouldn't take anybody in the community can connect that connection. That node A is the same node operator as node B. Also, to speak for uh, Nine Realms a bit, maybe our analysis wants to add on to this a bit too after I finish. But uh, you know, uh, like Nine Realms does uh, run nodes on you know on behalf of clients, provide Rune, and uh, you know we 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 vote uh, you know using Node Mirror. Like we we run our nodes you know according to the, the rules of the network because we want the network to be successful because we're uh, highly invested in it. But also we uh, you know defer any choices to the the clients that you know that, that we serve. And obviously we're uh, you know we're, we're known. <laughs> we're, we're known in the community to them. So we are basically uh, doxxed and, uh, you know, people, people know that, uh, you know, we, we are, we're acting in the interest of uh, the network and our clients who all hold a large amount of room. Yeah, of course. Yeah. The other thing, theoretical, that's all. Uh, the second thing I wanted to, to just ask about was, um, I was wondering if there's a way for non-developers to exchange value with the, with the protocol um, in a trustless and permissionless manner. Um, that's 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 my second question. I'm not sure if I understand the question. How a developer, a non-developer, can exchange value with the protocol in a, in a permissionless and uh, and 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 trustless manner, similar to how white hats can exchange value with Immunify. Uh, is there a way for non-developers to to? You don't have to be a developer to, to connect with Immunify anonymously and notify the network of some sort of bug or you know exploit or what have you. I see. Okay. Okay. Thanks for that. Thanks for that clarification. Oh, and then, but you, but you still have to prove your point. Like you can't go to Immunify and say like, "Hey, there's some issue with the network," and yes, then get a you know million dollar payout. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you actually do have to like state in detail what it is and how the attack would work, blah blah blah. And then the, uh, the core team with Immunify would go through the process of you know vetting the claim and seeing how true it is and so forth and so on. I see. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, uh, Chad, man, um, apologies for posting that screenshot. That was, that was an appropriate year. You're, you're right. No worries, man. No worries. Thanks, man. Aerodonis, uh, sorry, you're cut off before. Did you want to say something? No, I'm all good. All right, sweet. Uh, Runewolf. Hey, man. Hi, guys. Thanks for hosting. Um, I'm just amazed, uh, 
of the number of people in here, we're like 80, 90 people listening right now. It feels like everyone should be in here. Why isn't there more people listening? Um, yeah, it's because Chad DeRoe's not here. Chad DeRoe brings in the crowd. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Maybe yeah, that's he does. <laughs> um, and my question, I haven't spent much time understanding Thor names. You're talking about Thor names now. Um, like as an end user, what, what does it mean to, for me if I have a, a Thor name? How do I use it? On what, on what platforms do I use it? If you could, could just talk briefly about that. Thanks. Yeah, so, so the history of Thor names, uh, very briefly, the problem you ran into was that, that in low transactions where you, you put the transaction like intent, some chains like Bitcoin, for example, limit the amount of bytes within a memo to 80 bytes, for example. And so that became a very tight space to put all the pieces of information we want to do a swap from this location to that location with an affiliate fee and basis points, blah, blah, blah. All that data was became too kind of, you know, too much to fit in an 80 byte memo. And so we created uh, Thor name as a mechanism to shorthand addresses. So instead of putting, you know, OX, some long F address, you can just put, you know, familiarcow.f right? A very short version of it. And so that way you can fit more kind of fit all the appropriate information data into a memo without needing the full, you know, 180 bytes that you might need to say the thing that you're trying to say. That was the, the, the kind of the, the push for it to make the network kind of retain its ability to operate without the requirement of you interacting with Fortune directly and, you know, spending room as for gas to be able to let us know all the information we need to know in order to, to, to do the thing you wanted to do, which might be doing a swap or whatever. Uh, and then to make it a little, just more, a little more enticing for the community, this, this feature we kind of said that, you know, anybody can buy a Thor name. Uh, it could be an alias, you know, familiar cloud F can go to some, you know, zero X address and uh, familiar cloud BDC can go to some BC one address. And people can basically create vanity names for themselves, similar to like ENS to some degree. Um, I don't expect it to be used outside of the context of this ecosystem. Uh, it might be adopted by other systems as well. That, that's possible. I, I, we'll see if that happens. But uh, primarily, it's purpose, at least in my viewpoint, was just to get past some re restrictions of some you know, uh, layer one projects out there that allow us to, to maintain the same user experience and the same requirements, no matter what chain you're coming from. Yeah, I get that, the, the background. So that would mean, for example, on, on ThorSwap, I would just enter my my shorthand address instead of the the long number digit combination. Right. And then probably maybe within the, the ThorSwap UI, if you wanted to send some, just do a transfer, you know, send some BC, BDC from your BC one address to familiar cows, you can just like send familiar cow dot, you know, BDC or whatever and just send some Bitcoin. And then ThorSwap will just kind of do the conversion for you and just look up the address and then set up BDC and then, you know, carry on, carry on with everything without needing to copy and paste along, you know, alphanumeric strings. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it has immense potential. Such a feature, uh, if it's widely adopted, that would be awesome. Uh, it'll be interesting. If, to if it's widely adopted, it, it might be. I, I don't know if it will be. To be honest with you, it's not something that like we as in the core devs are thinking a lot about or spending a lot of time get adopted in other ecosystems. I think um, that if that if it were to happen to have this kind of wider adoption across the, the greater ecosystem. I think that might just naturally happen with if coaching becomes a thing that I want it to become, where it becomes like the number one settlement player in the world, highest trade volume bar no other system in the world, and just becomes the kind of center of the multi-chain universe. You're trying to send and transfer, you know, um, uh, you know, coins from point A to point B, and it doesn't matter what coin you have or what coin you're trying to get to. It's all the same from Thorchain's perspective, and so you can just transact in a way that's just kind of agnostic about where you're coming from, where you're trying to get to. And we can include, you know, Thor names is just a, to kind of abstract away the complexity of, you know, alphanumeric, strange alphanumeric uh, uh, strings that 
most people in the world, you know, are used to like email addresses, right? These kind of vanity addresses we create for ourselves. Most people are comfortable with that. And maybe that'll be a doc as part of that. So, but it's not something that, that I spend all the much time thinking about or pushing for, at least not at this point in time. But it may just naturally happen if Dorchain becomes this, you know, critical component of infrastructure of the entire crypto space that people just might adopt it just because it's it's there and it works cross chain and it's you know another thing that they're trying to accomplish. Yeah, I agree. Thanks a lot. I also don't think you mentioned uh, that you know things like Monero are kind of contingent upon uh, door names because of just the, the restrictions and the uh, the memo size there. So uh, you know, it's yeah, kind it, of wide it, Monero is a it, it uses crypto note at its kind of its core kind of um, thing, and a, a crypto note address is ninety nine bytes if I remember correctly, and ninety nine bytes obviously larger than eighty bytes because you know obviously. So we needed something. Otherwise, we would we would have told you know, Bitcoiners, if you want to swap from Bitcoin to Monero, in this particular case, you'll have to get a Thor address and you'll have to buy some Rune and you're going to make a separate transaction first and then go back to your Bitcoin address and then make a second transaction. And like, we just wouldn't want to avoid all that additional complexity and like weird cases and edge cases. And we're just desperately trying to, to fight against that. And that's where all this kind of... It's actually kind of funny now that I'm thinking about it because you will need to dox yourself in this thorn and not necessarily dox yourself, but you need to have some kind of identifier with the team in order to get to Monero, which is, you know, the completely private chains. I know that might be, that's kind of interesting to think about. Well, it depends what the name is, right? If my if my Thor name is a, is a you know random seven character alphanumeric thing, it's not really quite doxing myself. But if like my my vanity name is like Chad Barrowford, then then yeah, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm doxing myself at that point, you know. <laughs> hey, Citizen Rit. Hey, Chad, I'd, uh, I would enjoy you being in front of Congress. I mean, I, I think that uh, you got some practice dealing with people down at the Bitcoin conference. So it'd be fun to see you in front of Congress. <laughs> I, would have so much, I would have so much fun with that and to the point where I'd probably be arrested, to be honest with you. But like, I would love to have that opportunity just to tell them how fucking dumb they are. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing you smirk after like Elizabeth Warren asked a question or something along the lines of, you know, you know, I'm going to go over there and slap you, like you said at the conference, that would, that would be funny. That'd be entertaining. So um, give us a heads up. We'll, we'll do a great Twitter space to watch that live if it happens. Uh, well, I hope it never happens, to be honest. Cause if, if I'm being called in front of Congress, it's... Well, it's a bad news for me, but it's probably good news for the network. It probably means that, that Thor James Grant was a certain size and that it can no longer be ignored by anybody in the world. So it's probably right, good yeah. for the community if that actually were to happen. It insinuates something positive there, at least. Yeah, yeah. But I'll be I happy to stand in front of Congress and say, you don't have a right to tax crypto, and you don't have a right to regulate it either. <laughs> I, just, I, like, I have no problem saying that to them. You'll, you'll have to get Eric Voorhees to come along with you. I'm sure he'd uh, gladly say it with you. So. <laughs> I I, I'm sure he would, he would agree with me on this, but I'm not sure he would gladly want to get in front, get in front of Congress and risk legal, you know, you have to be very careful what you say there. And you have to say like, yes, Senator or something. And I don't know. It's, I hope I never do it. I'm sure I'd get arrested after the fact if I did. Yeah. Or at least put on some shadowy list. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be uh, on no fly list before you know it. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I was curious along those lines with uh, just all the coming regulation and stuff like that. You know, the SECs and ramp up enforcement. Do you do you know what percentage of node operators have been like doxxed or like how easy? Like, is there even really a technical way? Like, if someone wanted to do some investigative journalism or do some sleuthing to like figure out IP addresses to figure out who the node operators are, really a thing? Uh, well, I'm not sure what the legal rights are, but like, so there are IP addresses, and, and node operators do operate. Last majority do operate on like AWS or 
or Azure or um, DigitalOcean or what have you. And I'm not mm-hmm. sure what rights journalists have to be able to, you know, um, query AWS for private records. I probably don't have an ability to do it unless there's been some sort of crime that's been committed or something like this. Like, I can't go to AWS and ask them who runs server A, B, or C. Like, they just won't tell it to me because it'd be a um, that'd be a, a privacy yeah. issue that, that they would have a, a big problem. The only way that AWS would actually do it is if they felt legally obligated to. And so, if the you know the NSA, FBI, or something like this came to them and subpoenaed them for the information, then they could probably get the information at that point. To be honest with you, um, yeah, that's the only way to do it. But I, I I rather make it difficult for people to dox them than give it to them freehand. <laughs> You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Let's, let's look at my profile picture. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm curious uh, on that note as well. Like, uh, does the SEC have the authority to like do a subpoena? I suppose they probably do, or like a warrant to like AWS. They do. Um, they can. I don't think they have the ability to actually get information from them, but they can do a cease and desist. But then again, I, I don't know. Like, I, like, like I said before, like technically speaking. Fortune isn't an exchange according to the current definition of the term exchange for the FEC. So can you, you know, make the claim that, that this is buying and trading um, securities if there's no order books? I think technically speaking, you can't because you need order books to be called an exchange. You need an exchange to be called like buying and selling, um, you know, securities or what have you. Not that I'm a lawyer or I understand this stuff in any great depth. I just, I just know some ancillary information, but like, uh, it'd be difficult. I think they need to restructure the definition of their terms before they can really come at us as a community, not just me, but just as a, as a general crypto and DeFi community. Um, and they, that's going to be very difficult because they're going to come out with a new definition of the term asset or a new definition of the word you know, exchange, which from the, the general community in the world, which they are legally obligated to read every single one of those things. And then they have to like figure out, are they going too far? Are they cycling on uh, freedom of speech. That actually, there's actually a famous case of that, by the way. Uh, there was a guy, I think in the 19, I want to say the 80s, who was selling basically like insider information. Uh, and he got he the ability to be, to be a, a trader or to be a, you know, a CFA and, and give like financial, uh, um, financial, he was debarred in a sense. Right. And then a few mm-hmm. years later, he started um, like getting or selling these like flyers, right. Or these like, like a news, not a newspaper, but like a, like a newsletter, yeah, it's like a, like a newsletter that you could get of like stock tips and you know global his feelings on what's going to go up and his feelings what's going to go down. And then the SEC took him. Actually, I think it went all the way up to the Supreme Court, and they said like you you've been debarred, you know you don't have the right, blah blah. blah. You're not a licensed, blah blah blah, whatever. And you know you don't have to do so. You have to stop doing this thing. It says no, I'm not really like giving information to a specific person. I'm just I'm exercising free speech. I'm just saying publicly this is the stocks that I like, the stocks that I don't like. You know, this is just I'm um, exercising free speech, and it ended up being that that the SEC lost that case, and they felt they felt that they were stampeding on that man's right to express freedom of speech, rather than giving financial advice to an individual, blah blah, blah which requires all these you know um, uh, study, blah blah. blah. So like, it, it's going to be difficult because they can quickly get to a place where they can they can stifle on free speech, right, and 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 not allow people to to be able to you know uh, operate the way they want to operate. So. It's it's not easy for them. I don't I don't uh, you know uh, envy uh, Gensler's in a really tough position because he's operating on like you know legislation from a hundred years ago to figure out how to handle you know DeFi and, and like you know blockchain stuff, and then he has like the, uh, the 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 inability to actually sue in many cases because he has to define what a security is, which he's just really avoidant to do so. The only thing that he's actually taking action on 
historically speaking, like actual action, not just like talking about creating teams or creating like, you know, investment, blah, 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 but like, um, but actual action is like when you're obviously taking and selling something that is a, that is already known to be security, like Apple stock and Tesla stock, like those things are little legitimate securities already defined to be so. And so those are like low, easy hanging fruit for him to go after that is, that's an easy win where you can make, you know, $10 million or something or whatever the price will be at the end of it all and be able to make a little revenue for his team to do what they got to do as SEC. But like coming after something like even Ripple is like a dangerous kind of treacherous thing and they're really struggling to put together a, a decent case against them. This in my opinion, that's true. Ripple was smart to say, you need to, you know, what is Ethereum and why is it not a security? Because I think I said before that it's not security. So like, okay, what makes it that's not a security and Ripple, it is a security and that requires them to make a definition, which they're really avoiding to do because they don't know how to define it because they don't have the ability to define it if they're waiting for Congress to define that stuff. And so it's really tr- tricky for them. And so I'm, it's not something I'm terribly concerned about in the near future, but it's something that we all should be concerned about, you know, five years from now or, or maybe even longer. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. And the, I mean, thanks for sharing all that. I, I wasn't aware of the technicality with the like AMMs and, you know, the order book being part of the definition of exchange. That, that was definitely interesting to yeah, They um, recently uh, tried to find a new definition of the word exchange recently. This was like a few weeks ago. Um, I think, and there was just this very like wide, you know, uh, scoping thing that like that like it was trying to say that even if you're not operating the exchange and you are writing code that contributes to that, that that is something right that should be like you know legally you know nefarious or whatever. But that's never happened in American history or any country that I'm aware of, any, any, at least any any first world country that practices democracy. That like the ability to actually. Uh, to uh, bring somebody to court over written code, but not executed code, right? Because if I, if today in America, if I were to write a book and it's called, you know, uh, How to Rub a Bank, right? And I publish that book and I put it in a library, blah, 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 or sell it on Amazon. Like there's nothing actually legally wrong with that. That's just exercising free speech, right? Obviously it's illegal to, to rub a bank, but but me just kind of writing a document of how to do so, it's not, it's not illegal. Right. And so any, there's never been a case that I'm aware of that I'm aware of that of any government agency uh, to actually take to court or to charge the crime of any code that's ever been written, because that's not exercising the, it's not the act of thinking about something that makes it illegal. It's, it's the act of doing it, right. Which they're not doing it. They're writing it. And that's very different. That's a freedom of speech thing. So it's, it's a very difficult kind of new world we're in. And I honestly don't know what's going to happen because I, I, as soon as you get to a place where you start to regulate the writing of code itself, that becomes, you know, very you know, dangerous in terms of a free speech perspective. Or very waiting for you know a uh, Supreme Court case that can define what is free speech and the limitations of free speech. But historically speaking, the Supreme Court has always sided on the side of on the, on the free speech side. Even the case of um, uh, capital is be free speech, which was the time the time of the Supreme Court about. I think it was like eight years ago or nine years ago, where like money was considered to be free speech. Blah blah. blah and you can't you can't curve money. All this kind of stuff. So it'd be really hard, I, and it's I wouldn't you know I wouldn't want to do it if I were them because it'd be very treacherous in so many ways, and it'd be controversial and all these things. But the, the new definition of exchange that was kind of floated and asked for feedback was this really kind of weird definition that that not that included AMMs, included exchanges. It's like it was just this very wide scoping thing that like would have made would have put a lot of people in danger, both inside the crypto space and outside the crypto space. The entire. Uh, financial markets in, in, in all its entirety. So, like, it, I don't think it's going to go. Through. I doubt that's going to actually pass. It's just too many people that are against it, including outside of the crypto space. But they're trying, I guess, and and not particularly well. Yeah.
Well, I guess uh, right here, right now, Chad, the community is listening, looking for you to commit to moving to the Bahamas and things get hairy. <laughs> um, Hopefully I'm but, gone before hey, that, needs, that needs to happen. That, that's that's <laughs> Last two things real quick was just uh, one, uh, I think you mentioned a few weeks ago, you, you just had a, a baby. So congratulations on that. My wife's expecting her in, in the next like week or so. So we're excited for the second. Um, kids are awesome. And then uh, the other one, the other one was just uh, a quick comment on Akash. Uh, I, I think I mentioned this to Greg, like, or t- you know, tweeted him a little while ago about it. But basically my concern was kind of what you had, like, hey, if just like random people are running the servers then like they can access the data, right? And he like said, yeah, they can access the data, but what's their incentive to do it? I mean, it seems like there could be a lot of incentives at some point. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know if like there's some world in which they could kind of do a cache, but with like the trusted execution environments that they have on secret or something. But yeah, I still haven't fully wrapped my head around the possibilities there or, or even like the risks. Um, so it doesn't quite make sense to me how it works. Yeah, if, if the individual running the node within the Akash, like the actual person running the physical hardware within Akash has access to the environment, then that is obviously a huge problem because they would be able to, to rug pull the node operator and, and lose a lot of money. So that would be a no-go for obvious reasons. The difference between like Akash and, uh, and something like AWS is that I, you know, when an operator runs the AWS, there's a trusted relationship there. We actually, we know who's running the node, but they're not supposed to, you know, have access to the actual, you know, data and such like this. And so if there is an event that occurs, there's somebody to, ha- to hold liable, right? An operator can actually go ahead and sue AWS for blah, 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 doing all these things. But if somebody gets that within like the Akash network, then like, I don't have an ability as a node operator hypothetically to be able to sue Akash or sue the, or even know who the node operator was that stole all my funds, right? So we, we have to make sure we do a deep dive and make sure that from a, that this is, uh, that it's, it meets our very, very tight specifications on what we consider to be secure and, and not be you know, able to rug pull node operators. That would obviously be terrible. So we have to do a deeper dive into it all the time. Cool, cool. Yeah, I'd, I'd be curious too to see if there's more possibilities of how, of how like Secret could, could uh, you know, support ThorChain, especially with the, their interchain accounts coming up soon. But anyways, I'll yeah, sit down here because I've mentioned a bunch of stuff. <laughs> even secret, like it uses SGX, uh, like um, um, in, like in enclave hardware to be able to do its security, which historically speaking, like has had some you know issues from an encryption perspective. And even if you did have that, like you know, what's to stop me as an operator to be able to change the firmware or upgrade? You know, I, I, I have root access to the physical box. I mean, I, I can do it. There's a lot I can what I can do. So. Even that, I'm just a little bit hesitant to uh, do it. And even within that, like the only provider that I'm aware of that actually supports that kind of that kind of un- secure enclave hardware is AWS as a Azure right now. AWS isn't supported. Digitalocean isn't supported. But that would push a lot of our nodes onto AWS, maybe too many, possibly. Sorry, onto Azure. Yeah, awesome. Thanks. Very interesting. Hardware sounds like it continues to be one of the big bugaboos for some of the long-term visions here in DeFi. For sure. It's going to be an ongoing problem we're all going to think about and, and improve over time frame. But that's how technology works. Uh, let's go to uh, Bertie Large. Hey, guys. Uh, big fan of the project. Just a quick question. The tone is kind of like, hey, we're kind of independent of regulators, U.S. regulators. My question is, let's just say they do deem U.S. security. We want to go down that route. How do you feel? I mean... To me, if no, a lot of the lot of the value case is that you are a central liquidity for all of DeFi, all of TradFi, right? That scenario makes it really hard for others to come and actually interact with the protocol. So, uh, just the question is: Is it really the most prudent goal to kind of be this? Hey, we can't be touched by regulators. 
is there a better option where we let's comply in KYC and do the things they want? Just would love your thoughts on that. It's not so much that like, quote unquote, we can't be touched. I'm not saying, I don't, I don't ever said that. Um, if, if regulators want to come down on, on individuals, they, nothing, nothing's going to stop them from doing so. I'm just, I've expressed my own personal opinion that they don't have, I don't think from my, you know, non-professional legal perspective, see how they have the, the right to tax or regulate crypto because it's completely outside of the domain of the United States. This is my personal opinion from my, you know, given financial advice or, or even legal advice for that matter. Um, but if they want to come forward and say, we want to add KYC, then guess what's going to happen? Well, the, you know, they're going to have to convince somebody to, to build that PR, which wouldn't be that hard to be honest with you. Uh, to add KYC to ThorChain, we're going to put it up to the community to, to adopt it or not adopt it. I think the community will probably not adopt it. Most likely, I think there's going to be a fork at some point of ThorChain of, of a KYC version. Someone's going to fork the code, build a you know a, a new implementation of it, and make it KYC. And if you want to use that, they can use that instead. But this one, I don't. I doubt this one will ever become KYC. That's just I can't see the community getting you know agreeing such a thing. Thanks, guys. Yeah. I think I think before it's it's forked and and uh, and and liquidity is shared between other protocols rather than Thorchain. It's, it's I think it's probably more likely that um, front end front end uh, things would, would would implement KYC to to access Thorchain, um, but that's also a possibility as well. Chad, you mentioned um, yeah, but one thing that I though, like I, I remember I was talking to somebody over at uh, Galaxy Digital a while back. I was at um, invited to come out to this conference thing. And I was talking to one of those guys and kind of this Galaxy Digital party thing, whatever the hell it was. And he was saying that like that that what you just described wouldn't be enough for them because they have to make sure that all the liquidity they're interfacing with, meaning people who's providing into the pools, would have to all have to be KYC'd and validated by you know governments and you know, the no people who are on the no fly list or the you know the the, um, the blacklist that the government maintains can't be uh, interacting with it at all. Blah blah blah. And so. I mean, I even suggested them at that point, like they should just go ahead and fork ThorChain and build a KYC version of it for themselves so they can provide liquidity to the world. Um, I don't think that's just something very seriously, but it might happen at some point. Actually, I actually would gamble that it will happen at some point. Yeah, it's a really interesting point how, how non-KYC or, or assets that have been associated with blacklisted accounts can uh, can then taint other assets that are, um, or taint other accounts that have nothing to do with that. Um, Chad, you, you mentioned earlier, I think like 15 minutes ago, that it, 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 you didn't really care if node operators um, dock themselves. It's up to the node operators. But from my, from my recollection, the ThorChain docs specifically say that node operators must remain anonymous, that they cannot dock themselves. And I think that that might, um, that, that problem is like, like, that obviously prevents them from doing so. And then that's further compounded when um, node operators can then turn on a specific, a specific node operator as well. Well, no. What I said was that we, culturally, we strongly tell people to not dox themselves, and I've done this privately, and I've done this publicly uh, in communications with people. Like, I always encourage people to not dox themselves and, and stay anonymous. But in the end, people are going to do what people are going to do. And there are individuals on Twitter, for example, who publicly stated that they're you know running a, a Thor node, blah, blah blah, like or whatever, right? Or people on Discord who kind of insinuate that they are running a node or know somebody who's running a node or something like this. People are going to do what they're going to do, but I always push hard against the idea of people exposing themselves as node operators. But I don't, I don't believe they, 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 they use their real name, right? Because I mean, for for example, look when you when you mentioned that like um, if AWS were since they've got access to the, to the execution environments or of node operators, they can theoretically 
rug pull. Um, and, and, and then, you know, no operators would have, because, you know, that's a trusted entity, a known entity. There's then, um, there's then legal recourse in that case. But then in that case, like no operators would have recourse with the infrastructure providers, but LPs wouldn't have recourse with no providers or no operators. Um, well, LPs don't just, need it. Like in the case we're talking about, Node operators can get rug pulled by, you know, AWS, whatever. LPs cannot. Like, you can't rug pull the network. You can rug pull a specific node, and that node operator will pay dearly for it. But, but LPs don't, aren't, aren't at risk of losing funds. Even if, you know, AWS rug pulls a bunch of the node operators, they're still net positive. LPs are. So if, if, if like, let's say, theoretically, like, AWS had access to the execution environments of node operators, and they had access to more than two-thirds of it, theoretically, um, uh, well, they don't. They, they have less than half right now, so they wouldn't be able to get two thirds. Uh, when you were talking about like when you were talking about AWS, you know, um, having access to these to these to these environments and, and rug pulling, that was also a theoretical statement, right? And, well, no, like, that's actually that's possible. AWS, you know, could do that in some way, shape, or form to the node operators on AWS and rug pull those node operators, and those node operators would lose a bunch of room because of it. Um, but they couldn't. They could not, you know, steal the entire network. That would. Not, it's not possible because only a, I think less than half of the nodes are running on AWS today. I see. I see. Um, okay. Well, I, I, I hopefully that, that continues to trend down. Yeah, there was actually was a PR that was opened in a discussion recently of a code change that would basically um, that would limit the number of nodes, active nodes in the network, based upon what what cloud provider they were part of, right? And so if there's already you know, there's a, the maximum, of, let's just say a maximum of 40 nodes can be AWS, for example, and there's already 40 AWS nodes, then it's not going to turn in any more AWS nodes. It's going to turn in Azure nodes or DigitalOcean nodes or, you know, whatever, uh, Google uh, Compute or whatever. Like, it, the network itself can, can detect who's running on what infrastructure and then dynamically allow and not allow certain people just because of the infrastructure they're, they're living on, just to ensure that, like, no one node operator, no, no, no one... Uh, a cloud provider has the ability to actually, you know, get more than a third of the nodes uh, on their network. Okay. Um, great. Uh, again, just to, I just want to mention that, you know, if you, if you, if you, if it's your opinion that it's up to the node operators to determine whether they want to stay anonymous or not, uh, the docs might want to be revised in that sense. I think this is doc specifically say that they must remain anonymous. That's, that's all. Yeah. And I, and I, and I would, I would strongly encourage that, that stay anonymous, but in the end, it's really choice. Like, what's, I mean, if you dox yourself, like, what's going to happen? The worst case scenario is that, you know, the other nodes ban your node, which hasn't happened yet. So I don't think doxing is, is, seem to be a you know, high enough crime to, to cause other nodes to ban you, right? Ban your node from the network. So there doesn't seem to be any kind of recourse for any particular node operator that chooses to, to dox themselves. But I would still it's a big say, personal so, security risk. Like, I would be worried as, an, as a node operator to dox myself. Uh, not, not right. I'm obviously not a node operator, but if I, if I were, I wouldn't uh, say that I was because then people would target me for, you know, to, if, you, if you get into my node, you could basically just rug pull me and uh, make me lose all my funds. So that's, that, that's the incentive to remain anonymous. Wanna, you're protective of your own money. If you put a target on your back, then people will go digging and, uh, you know, try and get access to uh, your fund or your node or something. If they know you're a node operator, that just paints a giant target on your back that you don't want to have. Right. Correct. That's right. Uh, there's uh, there's no, a question from Twitter, Chad. Uh, thanks. 
Uh, there's a question from Twitter um, just about uh, Thorfi. So uh, I guess this, this could be the last thing before uh, we wrap up here. Is um, Has there been any major feedback or changes needed uh, for the Thorfi design? And uh, how has it been holding up in that account? It's past weeks. Good question. Yeah, good question. Um, you, you're kind of cutting out the end of it there. I got the question, Sorry, but, yeah, we're getting uh, rugged on Twitter a little bit with the with the voices on stage. It should be fine for everyone off stage. Yeah, sometimes they don't hear each other all that well on stage, apparently. Um, hopefully, Twitter will fix that issue at some point. But uh, that's a good question to ask. The, um, the biggest change that was made uh, to the original kind of doc that was released was how the network um, reacts to uh, price manipulation. And so one of the things we have to be concerned about is when dealing with derived assets is somebody manipulating coin prices on the layer one asset and then buying or selling the derived asset for a profit, right? And so um, originally there was just going to be um, by detecting the amount of trade volume on a particular you know, anchor pool of a particular derived asset that it would just pause you know, trading with enough, with enough kind of price manipulation. And I think we realized that it's actually probably stronger and better for the for the uh, the peg if we instead of doing that we just decrease the amount of uh, the depth of the derived pool all the way down potentially in extreme cases all the way down to one percent of its of its intended depth so it becomes very very shallow which makes it really hard to become profitable if you want to price manipulate because the trade fee is exorbitantly high so you wouldn't be profitable in that case but the important there is that. An arbitrage bot still has an infinite amount of liquidity that they can use because a CLP has infinite liquidity at the point where it's at. And you can actually still arbitrage the, the peg and still maintain that for every, you know, $1 room you put in the network, you get $1 authority you receive, and vice versa. Even in the cases where somebody is, you know, trying to price and attack the network in that sense or economically attack in that sense. So it just, it will still maintain the peg because as soon as you pause trading for that derived asset, you can, you're now, the peg is now broken because uh, arbitrage bots cannot, you know, maintain that peg where it's supposed to be. So, uh, as a last ditch effort, the network tries to maintain that that pool be traded, unless the layer one or anchor pools are not traded. Then that will cause that one to stop trading. But that makes sense. Same thing happens. Like if we, if we pause trading on, on the Bitcoin network right now, for example, hypothetically, you'll start to see the Bitcoin pool price kind of starts deviating away from the market price. Right? You kind of break the 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 price of the pool versus the price of the market. But as soon as you re-enable trading again, you know, the price gets changed and corrected, the pool price gets corrected to the market price. So that was really called the, the, the biggest change that was made to the original kind of implementation that I think was top my head. Um, there's been some economic simulations that have been worked on by myself and Orion as well. I think the the economic results have shown more bullish than I would have guessed, to be honest with you. I was expecting it to be good. Those are supposed to be uh, the numbers that come out as well as they have. Um, the more that I talk about the flaws of the network with like all the potential risks of this network with people like Delphi, for example, the more I realize how resilient this network is to all sorts of different types of potential disaster scenarios. It's not impervious. It's not, you know, nothing in the world is impervious, but like the ability of this network to be able to um, create buy pressure on the rune asset when there's some sort of dumping flood event where everybody's, you know, selling the rune and, and dumping the derived assets. So some bank run death spiral, blah, 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 that you're thinking of. That, that even that scenario where you create that kind of spiral and this huge down pressure on the rune price, there's an equal and opposite up pressure on the uh, rune price because the yield of the LPs, of the savers, of all these things 
kind of inversely go up as the price gets pushed down. It's kind of this mathematical kind of fascinating kind of result. And so like, that's the, that's what you want in a death spiral scenario. So that you know, this like reciprocating thing of the price goes down, which causes something else, which causes the price again, which causes the same thing again, which causes the price goes down. That's what a death spiral is. And so reciprocating like a flywheel, it just spins out of control and the whole thing goes to zero. We saw that with uh, USDN, we saw that with iron protocol, we saw that blah, 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 a bunch of different times with algorithmic stables because there are missing core components. You really need that when the, there's a death spiral going on or some sort of massive push down in price, that you need something to push up against it. And those protocols didn't have anything pushing up against it. In USD's design, they have uh, two things. One is that the lunar token itself has, quote unquote, intrinsic value for paying for gas and other purposes. And therefore, there's, a, there's kind of like a lower level of how far down it can go. But on top of that, they've thrown, you know, throw Bitcoin and Avalanche as, as kind of reserves to kind of sell Bitcoin at 98 cents to the dollar. Um, but the problem with that is that they're using older books at all. And older books is not really um, all that effective because there's only a limited amount of liquidity. That's why they pause trading or pause uh, the minting or burning of, of UST at a certain volume per day because the order book can only take so much kind of economic pressure in a given, you know, 24 hour period. Whereas a continuous liquidity pool can take infinite. It's actually precisely infinite. And so it doesn't really matter how deep or shallow the, the, that kind of CLP is, it can handle an infinite supply of trade volume through that system. And it's always a counterparty to every trade. So um, it's a much, much, much better and much more resistant design. I think the more we do these economic simulations, the more we realize how powerful CLP is, especially the slip-based model of fees is effective against um, you know, the worst case scenario that we can all kind of dream of. Um, it's quite fascinating, actually. Sorry, that was long-winded, but it was kind of an interesting topic. Yeah, no, that's great. Thanks for the comprehensive answer, Chad. Uh, I'm sure everyone just wants to make sure that this you know system is going to be uh, economically safe for Thorchain because obviously we, want, we all want to see Thorchain succeed and uh, deliver on its on its goals. So uh, it's great that we're getting this this modeling actually done and people are are thinking about this. Uh, like, yeah, you and uh, Nine Realms and the rest of the core team are you know uh, really just focused on making sure this is all fully baked out before uh, you know anything goes to even stage yet. So. Uh, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to when we can finally start playing with these things. But uh, right now, always the is the model is to uh, to deal with for now. So that's great that that work's being done, and we can make sure that uh, you know we have a reasonable degree of confidence in these systems before they're finally deployed to StageNet and uh, eventually mainnet. Yeah, there's a lot more to it than what I was just talking about. I, I could probably spend an entire hour kind of going to the depths of. Um, because I've been going to the depths with Delphi and kind of thinking it through about like, what if this scenario happened? What if this, you know, doomsday scenario happened and how would the network respond in this case? And what changes can we make to the design to um, make it more resistant to such things? Um, and we've thought about these things a lot and discussed them in great detail. And I think um, the more I talk about it with Delphi and others, like the more, the more bullish I feel about the design that we have, to be honest. I think the only change that's not actually in the document that I would like to make that's been updated is the idea that that um, that savers can compound their interest, meaning that um, every 30 days or whatever, you can take the yield that you've earned, put it back into your principal, and then make yield on your principal, like you know, increasing compounding your interest. And like by doing by doing that, you you opt to lock up your liquidity for 30 days, right? And so every 30 days you can kind of like auto-renew and like get compounding, 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 compounding interest. And it doesn't put any additional pressure on the network to produce more and more yield. You're you're competing with everybody else in that savers pool, you know, to, to earn that yield. So you're making more against the people who are not compounding their interest. And so the effective result of that is that like 
at any given time, 90 something percent of the liquidity in state store savings is going to be locked up, you know, per request of the individual putting their capital in there. And then, so if there is some sort of massive FUD event, whatever, like the vast majority of the, of the, of the derived assets aren't even liquid. You can't even dump them into ruin if, even if you wanted to, because you've chosen to get compounding interest in that savings account and then you, your capital is locked for, you know, 30 days and then relock every 30 days and so forth and so on. So as a defensive mechanism. Uh, against some sort of flood event that might cause, you know, hyper hyperinflation, hyper panic, or something like this. Great. Any closing thoughts for wrap up? What do you got here, Dennis? Any next soon? How much? All good. All good things. I'm excited. Yeah. I mean, I've spent a lot of time reviewing that PR, the derived assets PR, uh, this week, and we spent a long, t- long time talking about it. And I'm, yeah, I'm excited to get this out the door. All right. Well, thanks for coming out, everybody. Uh, you can do this every Friday at noon, and then uh, you can catch the recording right here just on the same link. We also upload it to RuneBase uh, shortly afterwards, so uh, everyone can catch the recordings. These are probably the best spot to, to learn about ThorChain and learn about what's what's coming up in the future. So, And a great place to ask questions, so make sure uh, you, know, you guys share it with other ThorChads and people who are uh, maybe Thor-curious. So thanks, everybody. Later. Awesome. Thank you.